Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for yet another episode here at the Boca Podcast, and I'm joined by a new friend of mine, brand new friend of mine, Alina Thomas. Thank you so much, Alina, for making time for the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And we had the opportunity to meet, I guess, for the first time at a little open house hosted by our friends at Kiss Books in Virginia, and it was a privilege to meet you, and and I'm glad that we now have the opportunity to follow up with a a conversation here on the podcast, and we're going to delve into something that I think will be really helpful for both beginning photographers and experienced photographers alike, very specifically step-by-step posing for wedding parties. Um, which is something that, you know, I mean, whether you're a new photographer and you're trying to learn a new workflow or you're an existing photographer and you're in a bit of a, I'll borrow a word that you, you've used, Alina, a, a bit of a rut, that, that this process, this workflow, um, I think you will find helpful and very practical ultimately. So we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But I normally start off the podcast, Alina, with something called a technique for time. And I'm really curious about your perspective on this. What is something that you do on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis that enables you to create space in your life to do something besides sitting in front of the computer and working? Yeah, so for me, I feel like batching and scheduling my blog uh, content and social media posts has been such a time savior and has created so much free time in my life. And um, as an example, my family and I traveled to Europe just two weeks ago. Okay, I was able to post consistently on my social media and also send emails to my newsletter subscribers and just schedule blog posts while I was there. And that has been huge for me because I knew that uh, my internet connection would be uh, limited. And I also didn't want to just work for two weeks while I was in Europe. So that gave me that freedom to just be there and enjoy my time because I had everything done and scheduled ahead of time. Which is so, so important. Uh, We've talked about the significance of batching tasks here on the podcast before, uh, as well as scheduling social media posts. Are you using particular tools for scheduling social media posts or newsletters to go out? Yeah, so I'm using, uh, for my Instagram posts, I'm using Planoly. And for my emails, I'm using uh, ConvertKit. ConvertKit, okay. And I'm curious, you know, there's various options out there, both for social media work as well as emails. Why specifically ConvertKit versus some of the other options for sending out email newsletters? So I didn't start out using ConvertKit. I started out using uh, a different program. But as my email list grew, I knew that I needed more just something more versatile. So with ConvertKit, I'm able to actually resend emails to people, to the people who haven't opened my previous emails. Okay. Um, so just get back into their inbox with maybe a different headline uh, and just the same content because they, for some reason, for, for some reason, they just didn't open it before. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they just skipped it. Maybe it went to their um, 
spam folder. So I'm able to just follow up with them and give them the same content that they just didn't get a chance to consume before. Got it. Okay. That was one of the reasons uh, why I chose ConvertKit. Is it is it particularly user friendly? Because that's one of the things when it comes to CRM or even something, a tool, a platform that enables you to send out emails and to kind of automate this process. It seems like tools, uh, certain tools can be a bit more complicated than others. Some are more user friendly. Do you find ConvertKit relatively user friendly? Yeah, it definitely has a bit of a uh, learning curve. But once you you get a good grip, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. So they use very easy language. So I know exactly where I need to go to set up certain funnels or just certain emails to go out at a certain time. So for me, once I saw or watched a few videos on how to use ConvertKit, it was pretty easy uh, from that point on to just use it um, on my own. Okay, that's good. You know, it's 2019. First of all, the, the importance of taking advantage of these tools that you were mentioning for the sake of, well, ultimately automating, planning ahead and freeing you up so that you can actually enjoy a trip to Europe. Two weeks in Europe sounds quite incredible. I'm, I'm a bit jealous, I will say. <laughs> but it is 2019. There is absolutely no reason we shouldn't be taking care of or taking advantage of these tools. They're either free in some cases or relatively inexpensive for the level of freedom and flexibility that they give us. So I like that we're highlighting this, but I think it's also important to take advantage more specifically of tools that are well-designed. And so if, if, you know, something like ConvertKit is user-friendly, that's great. Go there. We use at Photographer's Edit uh, for the sake of our newsletter, uh, a tool called Drip that is Mm -hmm. relatively well-designed, relatively user-friendly. Like you said, there's a bit of a learning curve because of the functionality in 8. But in in comparison to other tools that I've seen in the past, it was a bit more user-friendly, a bit better designed, cleaner uh, user experience or UI, user interface. And I think it's important to, to take advantage of those tools that make it easy for you to get the job done too. So anyway, this is a good point of conversation, a great way to start off. <laughs> for those of you listening in, uh, of course, we'll link to ConvertKit in the show notes if you want to check them out. If you don't have a solution yet for sending out an email newsletter, we can link to, to Drip as well in case you're curious. Uh, but ultimately, make sure you're taking advantage of those tools that enable you to automate your workflows as much as possible so that it frees you up to enjoy life a bit more. What is one of the most impactful books that you've read, Alina? I could talk about books all day long. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love reading marketing books. They have been some of my favorite things to do yeah. lately. Yeah. Um, but the book I'm reading right now, it's actually called uh, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Yes. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm a huge fan. It's basically all about just learning to talk about ourselves, what we do, and what we, the value we can bring to our customers in a unique way. And um, Marie Forleo has this saying that has stuck with me for a very long time. And she says, facts tell, but stories sell. So um, for me, I know that I need to learn um, how to tell stories in a better way or just to connect with my audience more. So this book has definitely been a, uh, a really good read for me so far. It, it, it is an amazing, amazing book. I can't recommend it enough. If you're listening in and you want a nice little boost to your marketing efforts, not even a nice little boost, a big boost to your marketing efforts this year, 
uh, I, I speak about 2019, still speaking about 2019, like it's a new year. We're, we're well into the year in the spring of 2019, but it feels that way though. It kind of does. I guess we're not into quite into the busy season yet, but regardless, make sure that you check out building a story brand by Donald Miller. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It really is incredible. And it is important to understand how to not just simply say, hey, I'm a wedding photographer or I'm a portrait photographer, but to tell a story that not it isn't just important to you, the photographer, because I think photographers do that a lot, right? They talk about themselves and they seemingly like to talk about themselves, at least at times. While a personal story may have some significance to a potential client, ultimately we need to learn how to speak the language that our potential client speaks to tell a story that resonates with them emotionally and ultimately bring them in to our brand. And so how to effectively do that, you're going to learn through this book, Building a Story Brand. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes. Cannot recommend it enough. Probably top, easily for me, top three marketing books that, I, that I've ever read. Really, yeah, really powerful. Me too, actually. Yeah, so our buying decisions are, are emotionally charged most of the time. So um, I feel like being able to connect with, her, with your audience in a way that you know, just speaks to them is really important. Um, not just as photographers, but really any business out there. So true. Yeah. I mean, you, you summed that up beautifully. Let, let me transition to a different question here. Something that I, I've been asking our guests here at Boca recently. What is one of the most important lessons that you've learned as a photographer? If you had 15, 20 seconds to share a piece of advice with a fellow photographer, what would that lesson or ultimately that piece of advice be? Yeah, I, I would say that consistency is key. Early on in my business, I committed to blogging once a week and posting to social media daily. And it has been like the single best decision that I've made for my business. I feel like people started taking me more seriously Hmm. once I was showing up consistently. That's interesting. And and it's easy to talk about doing something. It's another thing to do it, right? But then doing it consistently is, is a whole conversation in and of itself. And this is a really interesting point. I guess Gary Vaynerchuk had the most significant impact on me. This has been, well, about two and a half years or so ago when we really dug into Boca, or maybe about two years ago, shortly after we started the Boca podcast. But the significance of showing up consistently, uh, in this case, for the sake of creating content that hopefully Mm -hmm. would ultimately add value to the industry. And it took a while, but it paid off. And it's really important to, to know that while it may take a little bit of time consistently showing up, whether it's producing content or posting information to a blog or content to a blog, showing up consistently, doing whatever that thing is that your business is about is so, so important. And if you're doing it intelligently, it will pay off, period. Uh, but you have to be consistent about it. And that's a really, really great point. You said blogging consistently was a, was a particularly important aspect of developing your business. Has there been another area in particular that you've seen that kind of value in when, when you've been consistent? Uh, just posting to social media. So here on the East Coast, my wedding season basically starts in April and goes all the way to October. So between November and March or November and um, April, I, I don't really have any new work to post. Mm. But if I don't post anything, then, you know, I can't get in front of potential clients. And 
that's the period when couples get engaged, you know, Christmas and Valentine's Day. Right. And I actually, because I've been uh, posting consistently to social media, I had so many people talk to me in real life and they're like, oh, I've seen you everywhere. Like I've seen, I've seen your blog posts. I've seen you on Facebook. I've seen you on Instagram. And I'm like, funny, you should say that because I really didn't have any new work to post, but I still use previous work that I shot like right. months ago. Yeah. And because so not everybody sees what we are posting to Facebook and Instagram for some people. Yeah. It may be repetitive, but you also get a lot of new eyes on your content when you just reshare it. So um, I feel like for me, that has been um, very, very um, important in my business. Well, and the average photographer, let's, let's go with wedding photography first. The average wedding photographer these days is delivering, what, 800 to 1,000 images to their clients. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's just one wedding. You know, if, even if you're shooting part-time, you're doing 10 or 15 weddings a year, or full-time 20, 30, 40 weddings a year. That's a lot of images that you could potentially pull from for the sake of social media, for the sake of blogging. So you, you bring up an interesting point, Alina, which is that during the off season, yes, you're going to be shooting less, but you've got a lot of content that you could pull from to mm-hmm. create those additional posts, to create those additional blog posts, and, and of course, for social media as well. And there's really no excuse for not being consistent and being present both on, on the blog sphere, but then also on social media as well. So that's a really interesting point. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your photography business. I mean, if I jump to, actually, I'm on your photography website right now, and we're going to link to this in the show notes. It's just Alina Thomas, A-L-I-N-A Thomas, just like it sounds, T-H-O-M-A-S dot com. And uh, of course, the same thing actually on Instagram, I'll just throw out there as a side note, Alina, it's actually Alina T. Thomas on Instagram. Alina Thomas was taken, unfortunately, so I had to put in my middle initial there, but um, hopefully people can find me. We'll we'll link to that in the show notes in case there's any confusion. But I, I jumped to the site and immediately I think, okay, Alina is a wedding photographer and that's a pretty crowded space. So how do you differentiate yourself from other wedding photographers? You're in the Northern Virginia market. How do you set mm-hmm. yourself apart from those other wedding photographers in your market? What is your brand position? So I like to say that I'm a wedding photographer for couples who want more than just beautiful pictures. They want a full experience. And a lot of my couples become dear friends because we invest so much time into getting to know them beforehand so that on their wedding day, they feel relaxed and completely trust me to document this special time in their lives. And one unique thing about my husband and I is that we actually had three weddings two in Europe and one in the States. Wow. And I share a lot about uh, about our weddings on social media. So a lot of my couples connect with me that way. They're like, wow, three weddings, that's, that's a lot. So, you know, I share about our planning journey and kind of like all that went into it. And I actually had one, one couple who booked me because the groom was actually adopted from Romania. So that's just a, a unique way that I can connect with future clients. And how do you effectively communicate the significance of experience to a potential client? Because ultimately, all, you know, all they can do is, is look at your work and they can read an about page, certainly. They may learn that you're originally from Romania and make a connection in that way. But how do you effectively market this idea of experience that goes beyond just taking pretty pictures? Right. So when a couple inquires with me, I send them a pricing guide. But this pricing guide doesn't just have 
you know, my collections listed one under the other and I call it a day. I have information about myself. Also on my, on my website, there's pictures about my kids. And I just like invest a lot of my personal uh, life and show them, hey, here's, you know, what it looks like to have me should your wedding. We also talk about, I also talk about ways that I can help uh, make their wedding planning easier. I send them a, uh, I have a wedding magazine that I send to all of my brides. Okay. I also send them gifts here and there just throughout the planning process, just to, you know, stay top of mind uh, with my brides. And when I feel like when they contact me, I just give them a lot more than they are asking for Mm. so from they're like they would ask hey are you available on this date and what are your prices and then before i even get to prices i ask them about their wedding planning and i try to connect with them so if they're looking for a videographer or like another vendor i'll be like would you like me to recommend someone to you so it's just a conversation that goes between me and my brides before we even get to pricing. I, I like the idea of giving them way more than they're expecting from the beginning. You know, I mean, it, at the end of the day, one of the most effective ways to, to market and build a business is to add more value than you're charging for, right? Mm-hmm. To give more value than you're asking for them in return. And uh, that focus from the beginning, I can imagine, would translate wonderfully to your clients. You mentioned a magazine. Do you did you design this, build this, design this, uh, construct this, if you will, uh, digitally yourself? Or did you, were you able to find a template online? How did you go about creating that? Yes, I, I found a template and I just replaced all the main things in there with information from my background and my story. But like the, I, I already had the main template, so it was easy to just insert things from my my life into the magazine that makes sense and then you said gifts too that you give gifts kind of throughout the experience how do you do you schedule the giving of those gifts and then how do you go about finding the right gifts for your clients yes so i discovered this new company it's called gridable okay and it's amazing i don't know if you heard about it it basically uh you put a little gift in there and a personalized message and you can just put pictures from the engagement session in there and you can just customize it in so many ways and they do all the packaging for me and they just ship it out to my brides and I don't even have to think about anything really so I just have I just have my my message that I put in there and I like sending this after the engagement session because then I have pictures that I can put in, in this box. So the, the whole box is basically when you open it, it's like a, a flat card. And you just, when you put it together, it becomes a box. And the pictures, you can actually rip the pictures from the box and you can, uh, they can be, I don't know, used on your fridge or something like that. Right. Okay. I think I have gotten maybe a couple of these before. You said griddable. Mm-hmm. Gridable. It has a funny way of spelling. So it's actually G-R-E-E-T-A-B-L.com. Got it. Greetable. Okay. So we're going to, and we'll make sure to link to this in the show notes. Some of those who are listening and may be familiar with, with this brand there, and there is no E on the end to just to be clear. Greetable, G-R-E-E-T-A-B-L. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes, but how great that you can kind of rely on the company to send that out for you. And, you know, we are sp- speaking to the significance of automation earlier and how that can kind of free us up 
take advantage of services like this. And, and again, we'll link to, to Greetable in the show notes. And I appreciate you sharing that that little workflow bit. Talk to us a little bit about gear. What, what's one of the most unusual pieces of gear? Or that, I mean, it could be something like a totally random accessory. What What's something really unusual in your camera bag? So I would say that for me, it's the most unique accessory, if you will, are my macro filters. A lot of uh, photographers just use macro lenses, yeah. which can be very, very expensive. And when I found out about macro filters, they did such a great job. You just attach them on top of your lens and then they just act as a magnifying glass. So they did such an amazing job uh, that I was like, I don't need a macro lens. Really? Obviously, you know, I feel like the quality is comparable, but okay. you know, a thousand dollar piece of glass will be a better will do a, a better job than you know the twenty dollar uh, macro filters. But I feel like not a lot of photographers know about them. Yeah. And I actually wrote a blog post about how I use my macro filters, and it has been one of the most read blog posts. And I, there's tons of comments from people on there that are like, I did not know macro filters were a thing. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one. Per, I mean, I you see them for. Uh, cell phone cameras, right? But for a full-size lens, I'm not sure I realized that that was even a thing. Is there a particular yeah. brand that you use? I don't remember the, the name of the brand that I used. I got mine off of Amazon. So, uh, But the trick is you have to get the right size for your lens. So I use mine with my 50 uh, millimeter lens. So you just have to know exactly what size to get so it fits your lens. Uh, but they have been like amazing. They're great for ring shots and just detail shots in general. And you have my pack comes with four of them. Okay. So, you know, you can have like a, a wider angle and like a more close up angle. And it's just, it's been fantastic for me to use. And I feel like a lot more photographers should, should know about them. Wow. That's really interesting. Okay. So I, I just did a search. Uh, I pulled up my phone, got the Amazon app out and did a search. And yeah, I mean, there are and these four pack filters yeah. are options specifically. I mean, you can search, I guess, uh, for Canon lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would assume for Nikon lenses as well. And and there are a lot of options. So it's going to be good to be very very specific about the the size of the filter that you're searching for. But this is interesting. Very very interesting. Yeah, they okay, are amazing. I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> if you happen to think of the uh, think of this, Alina, if you'll just send us a, a quick note with the brand that you're using, we'll link to that in the show notes for our listeners as well. In case they're curious, we can also link to that blog post uh, for sure. those listening in that they want to go read that and, and kind of see what it looks like to, to go about using those. That's really cool. And yeah, I mean, to, anything to save that, like you said, the thousand dollars or the $800 or whatever for a macro lens, mm-hmm. that'd be awesome. Yeah, because I, I always recommend them to people in Facebook groups when they're like, I really want to get a, a macro lens, but I don't know, you know, which lens would be best. And I'm like, hey, how about you start with this $20 macro filter and <laughs> see how you feel about it? Yeah. And a lot of people really, really love them. And actually in that blog post I mentioned, I, I go about how to choose the right size for your for whatever lens you want to use them on. So. Perfect. We'll just we'll just link to that article then uh, in the show notes. And for those who are listening in, make sure you check out the show notes. If you go to Boca B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, Haley puts together show notes for each of these episodes that we push out. And uh, you'll see the resources from today's conversation there at bocapodcast.com. Let's talk a little bit more about efficiency. We were talking about efficiency and workflow earlier. 
And mm-hmm. um, any, anything that, that we can do to kind of simplify our lives in 2019, I mean, it, there's, there's so much going on all around us, but particularly if we also run a business, right, in addition to everything else. And um, so efficiency is really, really important. And uh, more specifically, when it comes to being a wedding photographer, photographing a wedding day, it is particularly important to be efficient, to be able to work quickly in the moment because wedding days can be chaotic, they can be hectic, and you, you don't ever know what might happen um, on a wedding day, any given wedding day. Posing wedding parties uh, who may not necessarily be used to being in front of the camera, this could be particularly uh, poignant or important ultimately to understand how to work with them efficiently. But mm-hmm. we also are in a in a photography culture right now where you know posing somebody we don't the last thing that we want is a, a stiff posed image right we want to have some fun with it so how do right. we I guess the question ultimately is is how do we go about posing efficiently but also also effectively I'm curious though before we get to the details of that how like what did it look like before you came up with this workflow, this effective work workflow. What did posing your clients look like when you first started as a photographer? Well, I would be the first to say that I was all over the place. And <laughs> honestly, it just didn't feel right to me. I have a background in math and computer science. So my brain is naturally wired to just have systems or work with systems. So I knew right away that I needed to find a way of knowing exactly what my next next step would be in posing my couples and the bridal parties so that I can just get through all the pictures just as quickly as I could. Because on a wedding day, the, the bridal party... It's not there for like for your pictures. Like they are just like they are. Uh, we are here for the bride and groom. They are our friends. Let's just get done with it. So, <laughs> yeah, as much as we'd like them to be there for the yes. pictures, you're, that's a, such a great point. A good reminder that first of all, we're there as photographers to capture the day, and it's not all about us and what we want to happen to the day. They're there for the wedding. They're there for the party. And so you're right. Exactly. We we don't have time to just sit around and try to figure things out on the go. Having an established workflow mm-hmm. not only means that we're more efficient, but it also makes it a better experience for those that are there. They want to sure they they'll have some fun with the pictures for a few minutes, but they don't want to spend a lot of time there because they want to get on the party. So exactly. if we can get through it quickly, it means a better experience, which is so, so important. So, I, I mean, it, you said when you started out, it was kind of haphazard. What led to you ultimately kind of developing this posing workflow for yourself? Because I realized that the bridal party could potentially be my next client. Mm. And I actually, one of my brides last year, she booked me because I shot her best friend's wedding a few years back and she was in the bridal party. Ah. And she told me, she said, you are the only photographer I reached out to because of the way I worked on that wedding day and yep. because of how I made them feel. Yes. So she, she just, she also loved my pictures. So, I mean, for her, it was a no brainer. But I, I liked that that was kind of a, like almost an afterthought, right? It was how you made yeah. her feel. It was the experience. And Oh, by the way, the pictures were nice too, but I, yes. I've talked about this in the podcast before. I was a wedding photographer for over 10 years and the number of times that, a client or you know family of the client would come up and say you're such an incredible photographer you're an awesome photographer and this is in you know the middle of the day or three quarters of the way through the day or whatever they haven't seen 
pictures yes. yet. And yet yes. they're already complimenting me as a photographer. It has nothing to do with the imagery itself. It has everything to do with the experience, how I made them feel. And I like that phrase that you used, how you made them feel. That's so, so important. We can, we can get, I don't know, we can put this kind of artistic hat on figuratively mm-hmm. and kind of go on and on about the significance of art and and our photography. At the end of the day, the client only puts so much emphasis on that. If we make them feel good, if we give them a great experience, that is going to have a much more significant impact and ultimately mean potential referrals, as you're pointing out, Alina. So uh, talk to us then about the workflow that you created that has enabled you to work as efficiently as you do. What does the step-by-step process look like? Yeah, so I had to come up with an easy way for me to remember what the next pose would be when I work with uh, large bridal parties. So I usually start out by having the girls on one side and uh, the guys on the other side. And from there, I will just take that classic bridal party shot where everybody's looking at a camera. And then I'll ask them to just look over at the person next to them and casually laugh. And then sometimes I say, okay, now give me a fake laugh. And that actually makes them, you know, start laughing uh, on their own and just makes for like candid pictures. And it doesn't seem forced because it's just natural. It's like, okay, just give me a fake laugh right now. And they just burst into laughing. <laughs> yeah. Because let's, let's like, let's be real. I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I'm not a comedian. So yeah. I'm not that guy who's going to come up with the witty last minute joke that's going to make everybody laugh. But it, there, there are little triggers that we can use mm-hmm. that if for no other reason than they just seem really silly, we can get people to laugh. Uh, this, is, this is a good example of one. And the next pose I do is I have the bride and groom kiss. And then I ask everybody to uh, cheer and just get excited, you know, bouquets in the air and that kind of thing. So the way I remember this is I use words like camera, laugh, cheer. So the first shot is them looking at the camera. The second shot is them laughing towards each other. And the third shot is them cheering while the bride and groom are kissing. Um, And what I do next is I have them pair up on both sides of the bride and groom and just repeat the same steps. I have them look at the camera to take that um, classic portrait. And then I have them laugh at each other. And I have the next, I have the bride and groom kiss and I have everybody laugh and cheer. And then, so this is six poses. And then I go and say, okay, now I want you guys to give me your silliest, goofiest faces. So that will be pose number seven. And I actually, uh, for, for poses seven, eight, and nine, I use the acronym SWS, which stands for silly, walking, and selfie. And um, I'll explain here a little bit. So the first shot will be uh, just them making silly faces. If I feel like this is a good group that I can do, I can do that shot with. And then the walking shot is basically the bride and groom just walking ahead of the bridal party, uh, laughing. And then like four or five steps in, I ask them to stop and kiss while everybody keeps walking. And I can get a lot of good shots there too. And the last one would just be the selfie shot, which is basically, I ask them to gather together just like they would be taking a selfie, but instead I take the shot for them. Okay. And that just that's basically my workflow. So it, it starts with 
camera left cheer while they while I have the, the girls on one side and the guys on the other side. Then I have them pair up and I do the same thing. And then lastly, I take a silly shot, a walking shot and a selfie type shot, if you will. Yeah, the SWS, right? Yes. And if you take all of these shots, both vertically and horizontally, you basically have 18 pictures right there. And then if you have your, your second shooter, take the same shots. I mean, you can easily take 50 pictures of just the bridal party without even going into bride and bridesmaids and groom and groomsmen. So for me, this seems to work great. And um, it's an easy way to remember and not get stuck during a wedding. Yeah, because I mean, realistically, if we have an opportunity to, well, not even realistically, if we want to be creative as photographers, occasionally, we have this really inspiring background, or we have a a really interesting, maybe it's the clients themselves are particularly interesting, and they're game to try any and everything. Um, That's really great. But that is, in many cases, probably going to be the exception to the rule. The reality is in, in many, if not most situations, we just have to get in and get out. We have to get those pictures, get them done, mm-hmm. and let the bridal party get onto the party as, as we were talking about. So just this very simple point or points of reference for easy posing is really, really nice to have. And I like that you've simplified it. And, and we're going to actually link to a resource on at bocapodcast.com in the show notes. For those of you who are listening in and want to just type this in, you can go to Alina. A-L-I-N-A Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S dot com slash Boca, B-O-K-E-H. We'll also link to this in the show notes so that you can have a kind of a visual reference of what is being talked about here. But I like the way that you've, you've summed it up, Alina. It's very, very simple, that camera, laugh, cheer. And you mm-hmm. do that with the, the ladies on one side, the guys on the other. And, um, and then you mix it up, alternating guys, girls, do the same thing again. So now you've got, as you said, six shots just there, and you can do vertical and horizontals. Now you've right. got double that. And then SWS, silly, walking, and then selfie. And now you've got a million different shots for, for the yeah. clients to choose from, some variety, hopefully varying expressions here and there as well, maybe mixing it up a little bit with the background as you adjust the pose or the setup. And you've got a nice set of images to give to the wedding party. It's been painless and very, very efficient, hopefully. And not only do you have great pictures for them, but it's ultimately a positive experience. Yes. And you don't even have to take all of these shots. So if you only have five minutes, you at least know that you have something that you can just go through if you need to. So for me, I love giving uh, my couples a lot of options because... And especially, I like taking a lot of pictures of the bridal party because, like I said, they can be my next clients. So, it's yeah, and it's really important to to keep that in mind through the day that the family, the close friends, the wedding party, in, in many cases, are those people who could potentially become a client. And so, yes, that that experience. I mean, part of it, part of the experience is the final product, but so much of the experience is the way that you engage with this group of people on the wedding day and anything that you can do to keep it as painless as possible so they can get on to to enjoying the day, the better. And this is a a wonderful point of reference. It's simple, but it's extremely practical, Lena. And I really appreciate you sharing this with our listeners. Again, we'll link to a, a kind of a visual reference, if you will, more of an article style or a blog post style 
uh, link, which is going to be alinathomas.com slash Boca. We'll put this in the show notes for those of you who are curious, but I really appreciate you making time to share with the Boca podcast listeners today, Alina. Will you just remind us where we can find you one more time online and on social media as well? Yes. So my website is alinathomas.com, A-L-I-N-A, thomas.com. My Instagram is alinathomas, and just on Facebook, I'm at alinathomasphotography. And will you just briefly mention too, I know that there's an educational element to your website. Talk to us just briefly about that. What are you doing for the sake of educating photographers? Yes. So um, I offer a lot of free tutorials through my blog. So I blog weekly, like I said, and there's always new content coming out on my blog. And I also have a few free resources on there that are all about gear, posing, and just a lot of things that photographers uh, might find interesting or might want to get better at. Perfect. We'll link to, again, we'll link to that site and certainly to your Instagram on our website or more specifically our blog as well bocapodcast.com in the show notes for this episode with alina alina thank you again for making time for the boca podcast thank you so much thanks so much for listening to the boca podcast today will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in itunes or maybe in the apple podcast app and i'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.